Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Psalm 66. This passage, or this psalm, is a psalm that invites its audience to come, see, and to hear the great deeds God has done for Israel as well as for the writer himself. We're going to jump into seeing some of those deeds that he praises God for and some of those acts that he has done for Israel and as well as for the writer. The audience seems to be very broad as far as to whom this psalm is written to. It begins with, if you'll notice here in verse 1, all ye lands. You see that there in verse 1? All ye lands, he's saying, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And then you see all the earth in verse 4. And this is more of a futuristic thing that is an expectation that all the earth shall worship thee. Well, we see all ye lands being told to make a joyful noise unto God. And we see a future expectation that all the earths will worship God. But then in verse 16, the audience narrows down. If you look with me in your Bible there in verse 16, you'll notice it says, Come and hear all ye that fear God. And the audience there is more narrow. It is those that fear God. Listen in to what I have to say here. When speaking to all the earth, much praise in this psalm is given for deeds that God has done in the past and particularly for the people of Israel. So I want to take some time to just go through some of that and look at some of those praises because that's where the psalm begins. So look with me, if you will, again, where we just read in Psalm 66 and verse 1. And it says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. First of all, before he talks about praising God for anything he's done, he simply says, Sing forth the honor, the value of his name, of who God is, not just what he does but who he is. Make his praise glorious. As you praise God, as you lift him up, he's saying all lands, this is what all lands ought to do. They ought to praise God and make their praise of God. They're lifting up of who God is glorious, a wonderful thing. Think about that. How much energy and devotion and effort we put into so many other areas of life. And yet, too often, the praise of God doesn't get as much of our strength, as much of our energy, as much of our talents, as as much of our, our, our abilities or our resources. But we see here making his praise glorious, making sure that my praise is, is as much as I can make it worthy of the one that receives it or is being lifted up. We can never praise God for what he is worthy. He is perfection. He is truth. He is holy. We can never praise him for what he deserves. 
And, and we could never give him the, the quality of praise that is owed to him. But we can give him our best of praise and make it glorious. Then verse 3, it says, Say unto God, how terrible or frightening or fearful or awesome or powerful are, art thou in thy works. So he says again to all nations, look to God and say how, how big, how mighty, how powerful, how terrible, how frightening even. Are you in your works when you do your works? Then he goes on to say, verse 3, Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. Talking about God's power and God's strength, even when he has enemies, God is always in control. No one will win against God. Even Satan, who has been allowed to be able to have some dominion and power in this life, which the Bible says he has been allowed. Satan was a very powerful uh, uh, angelic being, not an angel, but an angelic being created by God with great power. And he fell, got lifted up with pride. I believe saw God from a, a, a newer perspective when the world was created and he got jealous of all that Adam and Eve was given and he saw, I'm greater than Adam and Eve. Why do, why were they given that? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much as, as powerful, as good as God. And he got prideful and, and said, I want to be like the most high. And God cast him out of heaven, but he didn't eternally judge him yet. And he allowed him to have, the Bible says, dominion in this world. And the Bible teaches us that there are spiritual battles that we go through in this life. That, that, are, that are struggles. Not to make things spooky, but just the reality that they're, just like there are colors we cannot see. And audio and video waves that go through and connect to our devices that we can't see. There's a spiritual realm that we cannot see yet. That spiritual realm and Satan and those that follow him and those that work uh, uh, because of his influence, humans in this life, they, they have no ultimate dominion. They only have what God allows for a temporary amount of time. Through God's greatness and his power, enemies submit unto him. Verse 4, all the earth shall worship thee. This is, I believe, futuristic. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on, but I believe that's referring to when, after the second coming of Jesus, and there will come a point, this is in the future, all, all the earth shall worship thee, and shall sing unto thee, they shall sing to thy name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. Again, referring to terrible, uh, powerful, Frightening, mighty at, at his strength and his ability. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. Referring to when God parted the waters two times for the people of Israel. So that way they could pass on dry land when there was the Red Sea in front of them. When they were unable to pass and they had enemies coming behind them. And they were... Uh, stuck in a place and God actually parted the waters for them and gave them dry land to walk in. And he's just using this past 
event and miracle that God did for the people of Israel and praising God about it as he's saying to all the world and all the nations saying, hey, praise God for all these terrible, amazing, wonderful things he's done. Do you know anyone else that's done things like this and would would even so kindly care to stoop down and do this for some people, Israel, who are not worthy of it? He, he wanted to bless all the world, the Bible says, through Israel, but they didn't deserve his blessing and neither do any of us. But he chose to create us and he chose to love us and he has chosen to do many wonderful, amazing things in this world. And the psalmist is just writing of a specific instance when God did a miracle that none of us have ever seen, but a huge body of water being parted so that way his people could walk through in God's salvation for them. We see here in verse 7, he ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. He looks and he sees all peoples. God cares about us. And he watches them. And notice it says, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. It's like it's not a good idea as he talks about all these nations and all these people. It's not a great idea for all of these people, for any of you to exalt yourself against God that I'm praising that I'm talking about. As we keep reading, it says, Oh, bless our God, ye people. Bless him, ye, all of you. Bless our God and make the voice of his praise to be heard. Don't just praise him where nobody sees you or hears you, but praise him so that all can hear you praise him, which beholdeth our soul in life, which holdeth our soul in life. And suffereth not our feet to be moved. Just thinking about that. It is true that God holds our soul and keeps us. The Bible tells us that even Jesus, by him, all things consist or are held together. A lot can be said about that alone. As far as what I've read about it, and it's not my area of expertise in any way, but it's my understanding that uh, even the atoms, it's not fully understood why an atom holds itself together around the nucleus. Why do the electrons and the protons, why do they stay around the nucleus uh, the way they do? And the Bible says that by Jesus, in Colossians it says, us all things consist or are held together. It might just be that the, the very most basic uh, element of all of our world is just constantly held together by God. I don't know for sure, but what an amazing thought to consider that if he just ever at any time stopped making sure those atoms were held together, we would have amazing explosions that you couldn't imagine because everything would explode. You'd have, you'd have uh, the atoms just splitting. Can't imagine. I don't know exactly if God does that, but I do know that he holds us and and makes all things consist and he makes this life work. And he holds our soul. Verse 10, For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Notice this in verse 10. As he talks about God and praises God for what he has done, he doesn't only talk about the good things God has done in his life. He doesn't just point out and say, oh, he, he, he crossed the Red Sea for us. That's one thing he says. 
But then he goes on and he says, he's proved us, he's tested us, he's tried us. Why is that significant? Well, when you get tested, when you get proved, you get tried, it's hurt. it hurts. It's painful. He allows us to go through difficult times. And as the Bible describes there in verse 10, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. How is silver tried? In fire. And as that silver is put in this intense heat, the impurities of the silver come up and they're able to wipe it away. And God allows us to have trials in our life that we go through and we get better because of them. If we'll trust him that he is allowing us to, to go through this. Sometimes we bring trials upon ourselves. Sometimes externally people impose trials upon us. Sometimes Satan does working and God allows him to do some work in our life. Sometimes God brings things into our life and allows us to, and brings trials in our life. We don't exactly know why every trial or test, uh, that's going in our life, why it's there. But what we can do is trust. That God will use each and every one of them to grow us and help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To be more like Him. So why would He do that? Well, if we're Christ followers, there's there's no one that has endured such trial as the one we are following. Jesus Himself. God chose to be unjustly treated as though He were not God. And to be blamed for the sins he could never even commit because of who he is. He chose to be tried for us. Expect if we're followers of Christ, we will be tried as well. And the psalmist, as he's praising God, I just think it's interesting to note that he's not only praising God that, oh, you just made everything perfect for me and you've done all the things I've ever asked. He does get into answered prayer in a little bit, but but he doesn't only limit it there. Thank you for proving us. Thank you for testing us. Thank you for trying us. Verse 11, thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. So you tried us and you had, we had enemies, we had armies over us, nations over us is what it's talking about, the people of Israel, but you helped us make it through. Keep in mind though that if things took years, if things, if, if some of these times took decades or even generations, some people, the rejoicing of God helped us come through. Some people didn't experience that coming through. Some people only experienced the fire in the history of the people of Israel. Some people never had the liberty, the freedom that could be rejoiced about by the psalmist. We tend to look at our life only from our perspective, and we must look from God's and see that, that God is doing a constant work. And even if I am going through trials, it is God is doing a work not only for me, but from my life is connected to those behind me and those before me. And so as we keep reading of his praise here, and we'll, we're almost done with the praise, we see he says in, in verse 13, it, there's a transition in the chapter, and now he begins to talk about his personal devotion 
of in light of all this praise that I just shared with you, and I and I just exclaimed that that you ought to make a joyful noise to the Lord because of all these things and so much more. Let me give you some joyful. Let me let me explain some of my my personal devotion to God. You see, this psalmist gave much praise about what God has done for, particularly for the people of Israel in the past. While praising God for what he has done for groups of people in the past can motivate me and can motivate you. It can. If we look back and see amazing, wonderful things God has done, that can motivate us. But it's not enough. Past work of God for other people and even groups of people brings motivation, but not enough motivation. We need personal experiences of God presently working in our lives. We need personal workings of God presently happening in our lives. While knowledge growth is vital in the Christian life, while we need to be learning and understanding more of the Word of God, that is one of the elements of our spiritual growth that we must be in. But our spiritual growth is not limited to that. Our growth as a follower of Christ worshiper of God, goes beyond that. It also goes into personal relationship, personal experience. We are not only a set of doctrine. That is, that is not the full definition of what we are as a church or what you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is doctrine that we find from the Word of God and that we follow, but we, are, we, we have more than that. In our following of God, we have personal, relational growth. Personal experience of me and God knowing each other. Relational growth calls for us to be personally devoted to God. Relational growth calls for me and you to be personally devoted to God because He is personally devoted to us. We looked at just a little bit of the topic this this morning at 10 o'clock about God's grace and the grace that he gives us. He enables us to be a person that we could not be otherwise with his Holy Spirit. And when we turn from our way and believe on Christ and God gives us his spirit and he makes us his child and he calls us righteous and he redeems us from our sin unto God, all the things we've talked about, when that happens, he gives us a potential that we could not be otherwise. And he does that because he is devoted to you and he is devoted to me, and that's worth praising God about, that he is devoted to you. He is devoted to me. For God so loved the world, not just Israel, the world that he gave, his only begotten son. He was so loving that he gave. God is devoted, and a personal relationship involves not only learning, but returning that devotion of God to us 
back from us to him. Devoted not just to a set of beliefs. Devoted not just to a community of believers. Devoted not just to a a culture that we like. Devoted not just to a set of values that we hold. Devoted not just to what we would call our religion, but devoted to the person of God, composed of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Devoted not just to a set of ideas, but to a person, God himself. This psalm displays qualities of a personally devoted worshiper that we ought to follow in our own worship of the Lord. And today I'd like to look at four qualities of this psalmist's devotion that I see in the remaining verses, and you see it coming out in the whole passage. But as we get into the rest of the verses, we're going to see here the attention turned from praise of what God has done for other people corporately to what God has done to this psalmist individually. And too often times, people's whole relationship with God is encapsulated in with their depending on a corporate body having a relationship with God my pastor and our church, or, the, or my people of Israel. Or some people trust in the fact that there are chosen people, their ethnicity, and so you get the ethnocentrism where people are so narrowly focused on their ethnicity of who they are that, you know, God, I'm special to God because of who I am ethnically. But in reality, when we go to heaven, you'll have all ethnicities, all nations, all languages in heaven. It's going to be a wonderful place. There's going to be a lot of people that don't look like me in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people with a lot of different ethnicities and understandings and cultural backgrounds. It's going to be awesome. The Bible talks about every tribe, every nation, every tongue. I don't believe we're just all going to be conformed to one. It's going to be a beautiful, wonderful place. But too often we ride on the coattails of a corporate group. And if that corporate group is right with God, if my church seems like it's right with God, I think I'm okay. My pastor, if he prays, if my, if my pastor's wife, if she prays, and then, you know, I think I'm okay because they're praying. And if there's good people there that, that, that seem like they're, they're preaching the gospel and they're, they're loving the lost, then I think I'm okay. If I'm in a country that has Judeo-Christian backgrounds and and foundational principles that we often take for granted, we're not a Christian nation, but we have a lot of Christian principles in our founding documents and principles, and we take for granted a lot of that, but just because I'm in a nation even that has a lot of Christian principles that have undergird a lot of what we do, even though we mess it up a lot, but there's a lot of good founding principles That's still not enough. It wasn't enough for the psalmist to point back and say, look what God did for Israel. Look what God did for Israel. That's beautiful. But now we're going to look and see the psalmist say, look what God did for me. Personal devotion from God to him, from the psalmist to God. The first quality that we'll consider today 
is the quality of fulfilled commitments. If you look with me in verses 13 through 15, and in a moment we'll place those on the screen, we're going to see these verses describe this psalmist being committed to God and fulfilling his commitments to God. If you'll just notice, if you have the verses there, notice in verse 13, it says, I will go to the house and I will pay my vows. And then verse 15, I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices. And at the end of uh, verse 15, I will offer bullocks. And you see in even verse 16, and I will declare what he had done. You see these things that the psalmist is saying, I will do these things. I'm committed to doing these things. Let's look at why this psalmist is committed to doing these and fulfilling commitments he made to God. Because this psalmist, in fact, in personal devotion to God, made personal commitments that the psalmist fulfilled. The psalmist, of course, as I use that term, is the writer of the psalm. Look at me in verse 13 now. Specifically, he says, I will go unto thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. So he's talking about going to the house of God and bringing burnt offerings that are specifically vow offerings that he made to God. Verse 14 With my lips have I uttered or spoke. With my mouth have I spoken when I was in trouble. He's saying, I was in trouble. And just like Israel back there when they were in trouble and they had a Red Sea problem and they said, God help us. And then Moses got help from God. He says, I was in trouble and I went to you, God, and I spoke to you, God, when I was in trouble and in need. And he made vows to God. He made some commitments to God. I think you want to be very careful making vows to God, making commitments to God and saying, God, uh, if you do this for me, I will do this. But you do see it some in the Bible. You want to be very careful if you do that because you cannot bribe God. The vows that were being made were not for the purpose of bribing God, but rather they were demonstrations of, I trust you will and so will I. A vow is, I hope, the Bible teaches the biblical word of hope means to believe with expectation. I believe, I expect. It's not a despair hope. I hope, I hope he comes through. It's a, it's I believe he will. And so making a vow like this is saying, I am asking you, I believe you will, therefore I will. It's not a bribe. And so we have to be careful as we make commitments to God that we don't say, God, I'm going to do this. God, I'm going to fast some days and pray so that you will do this. Well, as Isaiah teaches us that's the wrong way to fast. And I've, years ago, I taught about that. Wrong way to fast. Fasting is when you take time to not eat or to not have certain entertainments, to withdraw yourself from regular things you do. The purpose of that, and it's a very good thing to do, is to disconnect from those regular appetites and activities that you do and connect with God and get devoted to Him. It is to withdraw from those regular things that consume your thoughts and your mind and to come to God and empty yourself and to say, God, I need you. I'm dependent on you. I want you. I need you right now. But making a personal commitment to God. 
And then we see here as he, we continue to read verse 15. It says, I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goat selah. Now that's not something you and I are going to do in our life here. We're not going to go have goats and bulls. Please don't bring me any goats. I'm not going to cut any necks here, okay? I, I, I like that the pastor's job doesn't include that. But this is what the psalmist did. This is something that they practiced. But there are commitments you can make between you and God that you can do with your life. You say, oh, I want to have to do that. You know, God knows my heart. Well, put it this way. I've heard people talk about that before, and I like to liken it to if I said to my wife, you know my heart, I love you. And then I never show up, and I tell my kids that too, and I never show up for dinner. I'm always out doing something else, and we don't have any time together. Never have time to talk and let Martha open up her heart and me open up my heart with her. Look eyeball to eyeball. You know, the, the depth of the conversation is, yeah, honey, yeah, 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 okay. Now, um, hold on, I'm trying to listen to the, the, the channel, you know, on the TV right there. Of course, that, that can happen. But if that's the depth of it, that's all, if that's all that's there, or if, if, there's, if there's no time, there's no love, there's no nurturing, there's no attention, you say, honey, I, I, you know my heart. I love you. But you don't give me any time, and we don't talk at all, and we never go on dates, and you don't throw ball with the kids at all, and there's, 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 I don't see the love. I could say, well, listen, you know my heart. My heart is, I love you. She's going to say, but, but where's the devotion? Where's the commitment? You commit your time to this. You commit your time to this. Now, listen, that's a life challenge we all have. Life priorities, but you know what? If you love someone, you got to carve out time and just plug it in there. And you'll find that time, the way time works is, is you plug certain things in that are priorities and you make other things work around them. But you have to have some things where you insert into that calendar and you say, this is vital. Now, you go through times in life, you might go through times where you have less and then you make it up. You may go through busy times where you don't have a lot. But if the whole scope of someone's life is, you know, well, just, you know, my heart, babe, then that, that won't cut it. And it doesn't cut it with God either. Well, God knows my heart. Well, he wants to know, am I committed to his body? He wants to know, am I going to spend time feasting of his word that he gave us, that he calls bread, the Bible? Oh, I, I love God. Well, then I, I need to take some time to spend in his love letter to me. You say, I don't quite understand it. Well, if you love someone enough, you seek to understand them. You seek to understand their love language. You get to learn them. You say, but, but then we get in some of the places like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and start reading that. Like, what is that all about? Well, you, you start learning some things that God did for his people there at that time and helps you understand a bit about God as you read through. But things like personal devotion of Scripture reading, time in the body of Christ, offering my time and talents and treasures to the Lord, and, and even learning to talk with Him and pray with Him, those are just things that I need to commit to God. 
I can't just say to God, well, I, you, you, you know my heart, I love you. Just like I can't just say that to my wife or to my children. Children, uh, you know, they're funny. They'll, they'll kind of try to make sure you, you're, you're listening to them. I was just studying yesterday in, this, in the passage, and as I was studying and reading, you know, I have several kids coming up. You know, we drove actually, yesterday we, we spent a lot of the day driving because we went back to get our kids that were in Pennsylvania. We met my parents. We got back, you know, and I was studying in the car. And that's always great, you know, typing and kids, please quiet down there, please. You know, and you're typing away and studying. You get home, I'm studying. and But then they're excited, you know. They've been gone for a week with grandparents riding four-wheelers and they want to talk about all that. And they want attention given to them. And I think about how sometimes God wants me to just look to them and, and, and just give them attention. Get out under the stars and say, God, you made those. I see that moon there. I, 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 that's so far away. How did you do that with the word of your mouth and you spoke it into existence? You know, if you get out underneath of the stars between you and God, you can even feel like you're an audience of one, even though God's paying attention to everyone else still. But you're that one person and you're saying, God, and you're talking to him, committed to him. So we see, first of all, that he fulfilled commitments. You and I, if we're going to be personally devoted to God there ought to be things in our life that we make commitment to God to do and to say, God, I'm going to do these things. He made some vows. And this psalmist fulfilled those vows. Do you ever make any vows, commitments to God? I'm not talking about, um, again, trying to bribe God, but bringing some things to him saying, God, I, I will do this because I love you. The second personal Devotion quality that I see this psalmist do is found in verses 16 and 17, and that's open praise. Open praise. You'll notice in verse 16 it says, Come and hear. Now it's interesting, you'll actually see this twice in this chapter. If you'll turn back and you'll notice in verse 5, when it when the audience specifically is all ye lands, and the exclamation is that we all lands make a noise, a joyful noise unto God. Notice he says, come, in verse 5, come and see the works of God. Now we see him, the psalmist writing again in verse 16, and says, come and hear all ye that fear God. So a smaller, more narrow group of people. And now he doesn't say, See all the works God did for Israel. Notice what he says here in verse 16. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. The psalmist just took time to give a repertoire of things God had done for the people of Israel, and now he says, oh yeah, I've got things he's done for me too. I've got things he's done for my soul. What a beautiful thing it is for a follower and a worshiper of God 
to be able to truthfully and actually say, hey, I've got a lot of things I could tell you about, but what God's done for me personally in my life, let me tell you about it. I'm excited about it. You say, that's kind of strange. Well, you know, go back to the, 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 the marriage relationship or a dating relationship, especially like a dating when it's like all new and brand new. A lot of times like brand new dating couples, who do they talk about when they're around everyone, right? It's like this person that they're dating is perfect. Like they have no flaws because they've known them for a week. <laughs> and they go on and on and they can't stop talking about them and they're all excited about it. They've got a lot to say, even though they don't really have a lot of experience yet. But this psalmist has a lot to say and a lot of experience with God personally in his life and is saying, God's done a lot for my soul. And I, 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 if you come and hear, I'll tell you about it. I just like to talk about it. You see, that's a sign of not just a religion or a doctrine or, or, or an experience or, or, or a religion or a culture, but it's a sign of a personal relationship. Let me tell you about him, what he's done for me. And so we, we see this open praise that the psalmist just wants to give. And then verse 17 says, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. This psalmist is all about open praise. Openly in the past, praising about what God did for others, that takes knowledge, that takes reading. You don't know what God did for others if you don't read about it. It takes learning and listening in, in church and hearing preaching and teaching. And, and you, you, you learn more and more about what God did for other people. But then it transfers over to personally in my life and open praise about, let me tell you about what God's done for my soul, for me. Hey, if you can praise God for what he's done for you, then that means you have experience of God doing things for you. I want to challenge and encourage all of us to seek personal working of God in our hearts, our soul, our life. Don't just be satisfied with, you know, I think my, I got, you know, my pastor reads and studies the Bible and we got a good people here and there's other people that study the Bible here in our church. Obviously, I'm not the only one, but go on to say, I personally, I want to have stories of God working in my life. I want to see transformation. I want to see things I used to long for that were wrong that I don't long for anymore. I've turned from them and changed. I want to see envy and covetousness and anger, gossiping, things that I might have done in the past that was in my soul. And I want to see that God changed me and made me more like Christ. And I don't do those things and I don't even want to do those things anymore. I want to see when I have doubt and despair and self-pity and, and, and uh, uh, fear of man that consumes me. I want to see that I no longer have that anymore, but I have faith and trust and hope belief in God. I want to see God do a work in my soul. One expectation you ought to have if you're a follower of Christ is for your soul to be different. 
is for you to be transformed from the inside out, not to dress differently, not to look a little bit more like another person, not to say the same things, amen, brother, and, and you know, God bless you, and all those kind of things. You could say those if you want to. You don't even have to, okay? But what you want to do is to see God change your heart, give you rest to your soul as you get in the yoke with Jesus, give you peace that passeth all understanding, give you clarity and discernment with the Holy Spirit to be able to discern in the Word of God to discern right from wrong. The psalmist is rejoicing with open praise about what God had done specifically for his soul. And then we see in verse 18 here the third quality of this personal devotion, and it is private agreement. Private agreement, or I could have really just given the same thing that I preached last week, and that's a repentant heart. Last week I preached the whole message pretty much on this topic right here. If you missed it, I encourage you to listen to that on the website. But you see in verse 18 it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. To regard would be to look to, to esteem or to cherish. Iniquity is a sin or perversion in my heart. And he's saying, if I look to perversion in my heart with a longing, not look to like like I see it. Oh, no, it's more like a longing, like I want to have that. If I look to that, if I cherish it, if I esteem it, if I desire after that iniquity, that perversion that is inside of my heart, those wicked uh, desires that sometimes come because we have them and, and it, they can even come sporadically at different times of your moment uh, of your life, even when you're walking with God and you're in church and you'll have sin that comes up that says, why am I even considering this? And if you look to it and allow it and justify it and allow it to be there, that's the opposite of what was preached last week, a repentant heart, that when they see it, you say, oh, that shouldn't be there. I confess it. I hear, right? I listen to truth that confronts it's wrong. I believe in my heart that that this is wrong. And I turn and I confess repentant heart. And he says, if I don't have that repentant heart, and if I regard, I esteem, I look to, I allow this iniquity to just be there, I'm okay with it. He goes on to say, the Lord will not hear me. God, remember, the heart condition that God desires is a repentant heart. It's not just for being born again, but it's after. It's when you know Christ, when you're in Christ, to stay right with God. I I can't let iniquity, perversion, and sin... Get in my heart and life and then and then allow it to stay there. Because you know what happens when you and I allow something wrong in my life to stay there? I begin to justify it to myself. Then when I justify it to myself, I begin to justify it to other people. I begin to teach it to my children. I begin to explain why I do this to others. And then I propagate and preach and prolong that sin and iniquity. And then it gets passed down from generation to generation. This is a natural human thing you and I do. When we don't confess, reject, turn from iniquity in our heart, 
we justify it. And so the psalmist is saying, I'm in private agreement with God. I'm repentant heart, because to confess is to agree with Him. I am unwilling to regard iniquity in my heart. I want to be in agreement with God to have personal devotion to an individual, to have a personal relationship with a person. This is applicable not only to God, but keep in mind you could take all four of the principles we're looking at today and you can apply them to any relationship in your life that you want to have a personal good relationship with. You need to have, you need to have, you and I need to have fulfilled commitments for people. They need to know we're committed to them. Secondly, we need to openly praise them. Other people need to hear us talk about them and God wants us to openly talk about him. Thirdly is we need to be in private agreement. It's possible to have open, give open praise and have private disagreement. It's possible to talk about God. You ever been around people that talk about God? Oh, Jesus this and Jesus that and praise the Lord and hallelujah. And then their life is constant private disagreement with God. Allowing. Now you say, oh, you're talking to me, preacher. You know, I I got things in my life. Yeah, we all have things in our life. That's why we have to be willing to admit it, confess it, turn from it, and go. But I'm talking about when someone is fine with just justifying and allowing it privately. Or possibly no one else knows about it. Just them and God. But private disagreement with God is an unwillingness to repent from iniquity in my heart. And God says here, the psalmist is writing and saying, that if I don't have the repentant heart, when I pray, God's not listening. Fourthly and lastly, we see answered prayer. You want to have a personal devotion with God? Long for answered prayer from God. We're talking about a personal relationship, right? A personal relationship. And this personal relationship calls for fulfilled commitments, open praise, private agreement, where nobody else knows, but you're in agreement. You're not just putting on a show. But now, here's where you get a lot of that two-way street going on. This is where you pray and you expect, and then God fulfills. And God actually answers our prayers. Look at me in verse 19 to 20. It says, But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor is mercy from me. We saw also that when he cried out to God in the previous verses, 16 and 17, that God heard him and God did things for him. This is where a personal relationship with God gets very, can become very tender and can give great faith, can strengthen our faith. When you and I have history with God answering prayer. This is something, this is where, where our, our doctrine, our faith, our fellowship with the church and all that, this is where it comes to life. Is when we can pray and ask something of God who we do not see, and then He actually answers it and does it. This is different than, than teaching. This is different 
than being part of a church. This is me, you and God only. It's not me, you, and God. We could pray together for something and God can answer it, but I'm talking about when just you're going to God about something and God does it. And it's like, wow. He's, he is real. He is personal. He is devoted. This is awesome. So the challenge to me and you today about this fourth one is to take seeing answered prayer in our life a little bit more seriously. I'd encourage us, if, if the psalmist could talk about the Red Sea, a lot of that is because it was verbally and, and it was written, recorded. And so they're talking about it many years later. I'm challenged by this as not a practice I do very good, and I, w- I want to work on it myself. This is one of my big takeaways personally from this message, is recording a, like a journal of answered prayer in my life. It's not something you have to do, but there's good precedent for it. So that way, years later, you can look back and say, oh, wow, I, I forgot about that. I prayed for that, and on that day, God did this, and wow, it's pretty awesome. That's a personal relationship there that goes outside of even what you can do as a body, as a people. Me and God alone, asking God for things, and He's doing them. It's amazing. Just recording some answered prayers. I like to encourage us to look for answered prayer in our life. Four simple qualities of personal devotion with God in worship, seeking to give God fulfilled commitments, giving God open praise, having private agreement with God, and seeking to have answered prayers and a history of them. The invitation in this chapter has been given. Come, see, hear what God has done. The example has been displayed of personal devotion. The call is to everyone. Personal devotion is particularly modeled for those who fear God here. And I want to encourage you and I today to not settle for what God has and is doing for others, but that you would seek that God would individually and specifically demonstrate relationship with you personally as you seek Him. Be personally devoted to God and expect personal relationship and acts of God in your life. Now, I mentioned that I would mention verse 4 when I close towards the end today, and I want to bring us back to that and just share one thought about that as we go. Verse 4 of Psalm 66 says, All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. We have something that's pretty interesting as we live our Christian life, and that is we already know the end from the beginning. We already know that God is in control and that all will worship God. And Jesus, the Bible teaches through the scriptures, is revealed as the one that fulfills that. My last statement I want to say was just that Jesus is the one who makes personal relationship with God even possible. Come to Jesus, see and hear God work in your life, desire personal devotion and relationship with God. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit
visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.